What's up, everybody? Leo Canel here with my man, Ty Talbot. Episode 16, we are live and coming to you from American Fork, Utah, where it has been about zero degrees here over the last 24 hours, but uh, we're getting through it and staying warm here inside the office. Ty, how's the family doing? Family's doing great. Tommy had a hard night, so uh, a little sleepy today, but we're all right. We're good. A little sleepy. We're going to bring the energy anyway. We are. Uh, today's episode, episode 16, is going to be focused. We're going to start out with a very fantastic topic, one that I'm passionate about. I think you are, too. And uh, a few years ago, an entrepreneur that we all like and respect a lot, Mark Cuban, owner of the uh, Dallas Mavericks, had a billion-dollar exit with a uh, tech company that he had started back in the day, broadcast.com, I believe is what it was. And he was interviewed by uh, one of the uh, reporters of Bloomberg or CNBC. We're going to watch this video in a minute here. And he basically said, anybody who starts a business on a loan is a moron. That's what he said. So we're going to take a look at this and find out if he's right or wrong. Obviously, we're in the business loan funding line of credit space. So we're going to dive into whether this is true or false and figure out uh, if Mark Cuban is right about everything when it comes to entrepreneurship or if there's a few cases where he's not. So excited to dive into that. That's our money topic. What's next? Freedom. We're going to talk about our freedom topic. And with that, we're going to dive into has more freedom led to better economies in these specific states? Mm, that's going to be fun. See what government policy leads to better economies and what government policy hurts those local state economies and Probably the way people have moved over the last two or three years will be an indication of that trend. And then our sports topic is going to, of course, be about uh, our key takeaways from Championship Sunday. It was a wild and wacky Championship Sunday. I'm guessing a few people that, uh, you know, bats and different things looked like they made sense. And boy, it was a, it was a tough weekend, I think, for betting. But it was uh, an exciting weekend, I guess, from the AFC side, maybe not as much for the NFC side. So we'll take a look at that in the sports segment. Yeah, and then dive into the family section, family finances here. And what we're going to break down is inflation may be easing, but a lot of grocery prices are still way, way up. Oh, man, we're going to talk about that. I was at the grocery store Saturday night, and uh, I could not believe how much the grocery bill was, you know, as Jill and I. And we were just going through, getting regular groceries for the week, a few necessities. And uh, extremely costly. And then we're going to finish it up with our mindset segment. And it's uh, it's one we've talked a little bit about uh, over the last few weeks. But it's essentially this. Success is not an overnight event. It's a process. It takes time. Like anything valuable that's going to last and be worthwhile, it's not an overnight process. And it's going to take some time for that to happen. Welcome to the Go Figure podcast created for parents and business owners who want to get their money right. My name's Leo Cannell. As a husband and father of five, I've been fortunate to create two eight-figure businesses in the fintech space. This podcast will share the values, principles, strategies, tools, and tactics that have helped us to build a fintech empire and provide an epic life for our family. Having been a parent and entrepreneur for 20 years, there's a lot I don't know. There's been a lot of failure. The good news is together, we'll find solutions to creating an epic life powered by a business that we love. So those are our segments uh, for today. Uh, we've kind of figured out that uh, trying to do six segments, we usually don't make it to the six. So five, five segments seems to be about the right number, and those are the five topics. And of course, you know, if you guys want to jump right to these, we are actually making a money, a mindset, a freedom, a sports, a family segment in the seven figures funding 
uh, YouTube channel there. So there will be an entire playlist right there on the channel. You'll be able to go right to these and and listen to some of these short uh, segments with each one of our shows. So maybe you don't have 60 minutes to take the full podcast in, but you can knock out five or 10 minutes here and there about select topics that really mean a lot to you. So that's uh, something uh, the audience has been asking for. We'll be you know, producing that. Uh, Casey's doing a great job doing the video and editing and uploading. So shout out to Casey. And of course, Jillian is our master wizard behind the curtain there, managing things. Great job, Jillian. All right, let's jump into this money topic here. And this is a video that Mark Cuban had on a little bit ago. We're gonna, we haven't ever played a live video during these live streams. It's not a live video, it's like several years old, but it uh, was very interesting. We're gonna watch maybe about uh, three minutes of this video and just see what uh, Mark Cuban had to say and what he was really saying when he's like, only a moron would start a business on a loan. We were talking earlier today on one of the panels, you made some really fascinating points about innovation right now in this country. Is the audio up enough? And, and, and all that needs to be done to encourage it, nice work, encourage Jill. small businesses. What do you think um, overall is the most important thing for, for new entrepreneurs right now? Just to go after it. I mean, the thing about being an entrepreneur is there's, it's just all to you. You know, a lot of people like to make excuses. I don't have connections. I don't have money. I don't have this. But, you know, if, if you find something that you like to do or love to do, be great at it and see if you can turn it into a business. And worst case, you're going to have fun doing what it is you love to do. And best case, you can turn it into a business. I, I'm just not big on excuses. I just think if you're really, you, everybody has that opportunity to go for it. They just got to do it. Well, you know, a lot of people say it's hard to get along right now if you're a small business owner or you're starting to come up, you're trying to come up with an idea. How do you get the capital to, to start that business? Well, first of all, if you're starting a business and you take out a loan, you're a moron. <laughs> right, because you're, it, there's so many uncertainties involved with starting a business, uh -huh. yet the one certainty that you'll have to have is paying back your loan. And the bank doesn't care about your business or whoever you borrow from unless it's family doesn't care about your business. You know, and so it's just a, a complete conflict. So, to, so what, never, what, what's your small business uh, entrepreneur? 99% of small businesses you can start with next to no capital. It's more about effort. You know, small businesses don't fail for lack of capital. They fail for lack of brains. They fail for lack of effort. Most people just aren't willing to put in the time to work smart. I mean, they, they, they go for it in a lot of cases, but they just don't recognize how much work's involved. And, and, and if you do the preparation, if you know, if you start a business, you better know your, your industry and your company better than anyone in the whole wide world because you're competing. Okay. Well, nice little segment there. Uh, shout out to, to Mark Cuban and, uh, you know, where that uh, video came from just right there on YouTube, uh, of course. And this is live on YouTube. So let's, let's break down, unpack some of the things he said. So Ty, he said, uh, listen, due to so many uncertainties, only a moron would start a business on a loan. And he said 99% of small businesses can be started for very little to no capital you know, you and I have been in the trenches. We've served uh, thousands of business owners with funding and financing and helped them launch their business. And as you and I, as you personally talk to these business owners and our team, you know, talks with literally hundreds of business owners every single week. Sometimes we get as many as 2,000 uh, funding requests in a week or two. And so as these requests come in, how often are, you know, how much money do you, do you think most of them are saying, I need this amount to get started? And how many are saying, oh, actually, I don't need, I just need to work hard and I can start my business? 
you know, I, I've yet to come across anyone that is reaching out to us because we're a funding company and saying, I don't need money, but we definitely get a wide range in the amounts that people are asking for, which is interesting because a lot of them are starting the exact same business, but they have different requests. Now, I, I definitely disagree with what he says. We're only morons start a business on a loan. I, I do kind of agree that the day that you have the idea of I'm going to start a business, that's probably not the day you go get the loan. True. Right. You've got to get a lot of education. You've got to, like he said, know your industry better than anyone else. You've got a lot yeah. of things you have to do before it's time to get the loan. But I mean, how the hell are you going to build an inventory driven business without the money to get the inventory? Right. How do you build an Amazon business, launch your own private label on Amazon without finances? It, it doesn't work. You don't want to sit there and drop ship forever. Those days are kind of dwindling. So yes, you, there are a lot of businesses where you do have to have capital to get started. No question. So you think about it. Let, we, let's look at all the businesses just within, you know, a mile of us. If you're going to start a Jersey Mike's, you're going to need capital. True or false? Yes, you are. If you're going to start that truck dealership that's about uh, 100 yards down the street from us, you're going to need money for that inventory, right? If you're starting an e-commerce business, you're going to need money for inventory. You know, unless you're trying to live on $500 to $1,000 a month, that's not very feasible. And then the next thing that a lot of guys like Mark Cuban will say that kind of have some tech entrepreneurship background is, well, I'm just going to go raise capital and venture capital, and that's the way I'm going to do it. And that's fine if you're in that type of business, but less than 1% of businesses are actually ever going to qualify for venture capital and private equity money. And so that means the vast majority of business owners start from, you know, begging for money from friends and family. And that's not one of my favorites, right? You're going to go beg from, you know, your, your hard-earned parents' retirement money, your Uncle Joe, unless you got a really, you know, wealthy family member who is just uh, independently wealthy and doesn't mind, you know, putting fifty dollars to $100,000 into a business for you and is okay losing it. Like, that is a tough ask. And so at the end of the day, the option that you have is, you know, you're going to probably need some access to money. If you're starting any type of business that is a brick and mortar location, even if it's not, let's say you can work from home and start an e-commerce business, or you can do a consulting business, you're still going to have to get a website. You're going to have to have a CRM. You're going to have to spend money on marketing. And then what if it takes you six to 12 months to actually net profits to pay your own bills and so at the end of the day, savings can only take you so far. You're going to have to get financing and funding. And so as we look at well, what are some actual, you know, real examples that prove that Mark Cuban, you know, isn't right about all this. And I think you made a good point, though. You know, it's not that you get an idea and, oh, I'm going to go get $50,000 in funding for my business and here we go. Like you have to know what you're doing in your industry, right? You have to have some kind of product, some kind of service, and there has to be a proof of concept where you've proved that, hey, number one, there's a need for this product or service in the market. The market needs it. The market wants it. And number two, I can actually make some money at it, enough money to be profitable, to build a real business. And now once I've got that proof of concept, then I can go and get financing. So if it's an e-commerce business, you're figuring out which product works. And when you find the right product that you can make money on, then you go in and spend a few thousand dollars on inventory. If you're doing a consulting business, you're figuring out the service you can provide for your client, for your business owner, whoever it is. And once you figure that out, then you can do the marketing, right? But there's still some upfront costs, websites, different things that you've got to do um, to be able to cover that. And so at the end of the day, you know, I always like uh, the example of Kevin Plank. Kevin Plank started Under Armour 
amazing story. This guy is a college football walk-off for the University of Maryland. He's doing three-a-days back when they used to do three-a-days. You know, I don't know if you did. I, I did no. three-a-days uh, back when I was in high school. And you're sitting there dripping in sweat in Maryland. It's super humid. And they've got these cotton T-shirts that weigh like 10 pounds. Like, they've got to be something better. So he starts figuring out the right material, figures it out, and he gets kind of a proof of concept. And then he takes forty grand out and five credit cards and he gets a bunch of inventory, takes him a year to get some sales, gets the Georgia State, uh, Georgia, I think, Tech, uh, Georgia Tech or State football team. They buy his, uh, his Under Armour apparel and then starts getting the NFL, spreads around the world, number two you know, in the world. And we've also, also one of our funding partners, who's a big-time lender, uh, lent uh, Under Armour millions of dollars before they went public. And so that was a business that was started not even on a loan, but $40,000 in credit cards and, and succeeded. And if he hadn't got that funding, Under Armour doesn't exist, period. Yeah, no. And I actually, Leo, I have an example on the other oh, end of this. When I was like, I was probably 21 years old and I I had a handful of friends that were in the solar industry. Solar was kind of booming. They're knocking on doors, making thousands of dollars every single day. And I'm like, you know what? How hard could this be? Let's start our own solar office and we'll just be, you know, we'll, we'll use this company to fulfill how, you know, we'll get a few reps going. No big deal. I go to my grandpa who had a lot of money at the time and I borrowed about $50,000. And what happened is I got the $50,000 and immediately got the office, started buying computers, started giving bonuses to reps if they'd come work for me. And all of a sudden realized, you know what, I don't have scripts. I don't have processes. I don't have the proper phone system. I don't have follow-up campaigns. I don't have any of this stuff in place. And it literally took me about three months to get to the point where I had those things in place. And by that point, I had burned through the $50,000 was like, you know what, this isn't working. I don't have any sales. I'm scared. I'm pulling the plug and I'm going to start paying my grandpa back. And we turned over all of our leads to another group who happened to end up selling like 10, 11, 12 of them did wow. close to a hundred thousand dollars in revenue on the leads that we had generated. But if I would have done those things beforehand, figured out my scripts, figured out my processes, figured out my follow-up campaigns, then went and got the money, then got the office, then brought the reps in, we would have had a very successful company. So timing with capital is very, very important. When you look at that. And that is, that's, I think, the overall response to a lot of things. Like, a lot of the times on TV, when it comes to, you know, someone who's successful, like, they'll just take a position, a really strong position, and maybe it's right half the time, but the other half, it's dead wrong, right? So, in that case, Mark Cuban's right. Yeah, don't start that business on a loan because you don't have the proof of concept. And that's why it's so great to get involved in an industry and have a mentor and work at another business for a few years, get to know an industry and figure out where are the you know other companies missing out where are they not delivering the right how can i actually deliver a better product or service than the competition out there and once you have that experience that proof of concept then you can go out and take the actions and take it in the right order too right a lot of the times it's oh we got to get the office we got to do this and before you've even made a dollar you've already spent twenty thousand dollars and, and that's one of the big mistakes that a lot of people make. And so I remember when we started this business, it's, hey, we're working from home. We didn't get an office for our first eight months. I, we didn't even make any money for like the first, uh, remember we started in like August of 2018. The first two months we actually had, no, it was first three months, uh, you know, basically a little, little more than 60 days, no sales, 
Finally, it's November 2018. We started to get sales from the, the Seven Figures Business Accelerator licensing that we did that you put together for, for Keystone. And so we're finally making some money. And then we get in, get the funding part piece launched, uh, you know, by Thanksgiving and December. We, you know, I think did 25,000 in December and then 15 January and just 100,000 100, in sales by March. But it's it's step by step and having that experience. So at the end of the day, the bottom line is Mark Cuban's right, but he's also wrong, and that's what a, that's what a lot of things are. You know, you're watching you know a great entrepreneur and and they say something, or you're watching someone you really respect in sports, and they'll just take this big strong position, and you know it was right for them, or it's right in this situation, but. Not right all the time. And this is exactly the case with Mark Cuban saying, hey, never started a business on a loan. And yet, you know, we did. And it's worked out well. But we've also had businesses that we did. And it didn't work out well, right? Yeah. And so there, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. Kevin, uh, you know, Plank did it the right way with Under Armour. A lot of other uh, folks have done it the right way. But there's certainly many examples of people who did take out the loan didn't have the proof of concept and the business failed. So I'd say the the first key is the proof of concept and then the systems and processes, right? You've got to have that that foundation in place. And then for me, it's focusing on sales. I just always remember, you know, the the story of the founder of Samuel Adams, the beer brewing company. uh, He got 80 grand from his uncle, Wall Street guy. He's busy doing all those things, buying computers, buying, building the office out. And his uncle's just yells at him, what are you doing? Stop wasting your time. Go get some sales. Then you can worry about all that rest of that stuff. Yeah. And, and you also have to look at the type of funding, right? Because I, I do a training, I call it inventory scotoma. And I kind of steal a little piece of that from Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins does a, a training on what he calls a scotoma, which a scotoma is a, a blind spot in your vision. Yeah. Okay. And the example I like to give is we just made cheeseburgers, right? We just grilled up some cheeseburgers and I walk to the fridge and I open it up and I'm thinking, we're out of ketchup. We do not have any ketchup. What the heck is going on? I know we just got some ketchup. Babe, where's the ketchup? She comes over, stands right next to me, a little bit different perspective. Ty, you idiot, the ketchup's right here. And, and Uh-oh. no problem. That's happened to me with Jill Bunch. <laughs> See, it, exactly. That That's the scotoma. You've, it, he calls it the blind spot in your vision. Now, with e-commerce businesses, because I've worked with literally thousands of e-commerce businesses helping them get funding, I like to focus on revolving lines of credit, right? You don't have a payment unless you spend the money. And I call it inventory scotoma because I have people that are new Amazon businesses that, believe it or not, they can't find anything to sell, Leo. There's all these things right in front of them, but they can't find anything to sell. Well, guess what? I go get them access to $20,000, $30,000, it shifts their perspective, even though they haven't spent the money. 100%. They don't have any bills yeah. due. Just by seeing, oh, I've got 30000 available, they start to look at different vendors. They start to do their math with higher order quantities and realize, oh, wow, I, I actually could afford this. And if I did this, my margins are significantly better. And now it makes sense. And they're willing to actually take action and make buying decisions. And honestly, they wouldn't have if they didn't have that line of credit. So getting that funding early on, Yes, it's funding. Yes, it's available, but you don't have anything due until you spend it. So you may as well get that available so that you can start to make different buying decisions. So true. And so if you've got that scotoma and you can't see because you have only got, you know, five grand in savings and now you open it up and you've got $50,000 at a 0% interest rate for 18 months on a line of credit 
And I can tap that as I get the proof of concept, as I get things worked out, and I can test things out. But now I have much bigger opportunities exactly. in front of me. You just shifted that perspective a tiny bit. That's it. Yeah, I know that, that that's huge. And, and so there's just there's all these little things that you learn. But one thing we've done over the years in serving thousands of new business owners, get proof of concept, you know, get access to capital, but not necessarily in a loan. If you can get it in a line of credit or a 0% interest business credit card, you're not paying on it until you actually use it. It's open for the life of your business. That's the way to do it. And if you can do something that you have time to pay it back instead of having to pay it all back next month, like, you know, so I, man, I had a business partner who, you know, got one of these uh, Amex charge cards, took out $50,000, had to pay it back next month. That did not work out well. <laughs> If you can get something that you have time to pay it back, now you can, you know, with time and patience and, and action, you know, pay that back and build your business over, you know, a nine to 12 month period and pay it back. That's really what you want to look at. If you have to pay it all back next month, that's going to be tough. Okay, guys, that was our money segment. Let's move on to our freedom segment here. And uh, this is a Wall Street Journal article. It says, uh, basically, has more freedom led to better economies in this state? Uh, very interesting article and kind of just breaking down what's been going on with uh, the jobless rate. And so the jobless rate in our country is still very low, which is why even though there was a technical recession last year where there was two quarters of negative growth in the U.S. economy, overall, there wasn't a lot of job loss. And so people didn't really feel like it was a recession. I can't argue with them. So, but that said, over the last two, three years, we've seen different states in our country who have operated different ways, had different policies. How do those government policies translate into success for the people and the businesses in those states? Well, let's take a look. Number one, the state with the lowest unemployment rate is Utah, where we live, where we reside, one of the strongest areas to start, build, and grow a business in the state of Utah where they make it easier, they make it more affordable, there's less regulation, there's less red tape, and as a result... Utah has the lowest unemployment rate in the country at 2.2%. That is incredibly low. Here's uh, what an expert said in the article. It said Utah and a lot of the Mountain West, they recovered really rapidly, I would guess, uh, from the pandemics what they're talking about. It says Mr. Carmen's Utah is a state that has been growing very quickly, adding residents at one of the fastest rates in the nation for a while absorbing them into new jobs in high-wage, white-collar industries like tech and finance. And this is also interesting, right? Because the population is a big deal. If your population is growing, there's more opportunity, there's more demand, there's more need. But if your state starts losing population, like, for example, New York and California, more people have been moving out than have been moving in. And then guess what two states have seen the most actual employment increases? What states would you guess? I mean, it, now that I see it, it's, it's cheating. But I, would have, I probably would have said Utah and Florida. Yeah, 100%. And, and per capita, Utah is number one, just like percentage-based. But in actual like numbers, just because you know Texas and Florida have more population, it's Texas and Florida saw the largest employment increases just by people because they have you know a lot more population than Utah. But why do you think that is? Why is it that states like Texas and Florida have seen more employment growth? And then you've got states like New York uh, is number six 
in in the country with the highest. They have the sixth highest unemployment rate. Um, Illinois is number two. Washington, D.C., the location of where our federal government is located, they're the third worst in our country when it comes to unemployment. And Michigan is number seven. California is number 13. So what is the common denominator? Why are some states struggling, losing population, having higher unemployment, and other states are not? And this, of course, is our freedom segment. So what do we think? Why is this? It's freedom. That's the name of the segment here, Leo. It's it's the amount of freedom that local governments are allowing people in Texas, in Florida, in Utah to actually experience, which is very interesting to me because I bet my guess would be not that long ago, Arizona would probably be on this list. Oh, yeah. But guess where all of California is migrating? And wow, guess what? I'm going to Arizona. Guess what state's in an absolute shitstorm right now because of it? Like, yep. if you're going to relocate, why are you going to keep voting the exact same way and recreate what you just ruined? Like, that's what's ticking me off. I'm seeing, no offense, Jillian, you're not one of those uh, California folks I'm talking about, so forgive this. But you're, you're starting to see it in Utah already. Like, this last election was as close as we have ever been. Arizona shifted. You're seeing it in Nevada. It's like, Either go back to California and keep voting the way you're going to vote or try something new because clearly it wasn't working in California. No question. Bad policies lead to bad results. And when government oversteps, overtaxes, overregulates, what do you think that's going to do to a business? It was funny. I was, uh, I was uh, watching a video earlier this morning. And they were talking about the fact when Elon Musk was, you know, back when Tesla was still headquartered in California and a lot of his companies were, and he's sitting there and he's saying, oh my word, we are paying so much more in taxes in the state of California, especially around the Bay Area and San Francisco. And I I just don't know if we can continue. This is just too expensive. It's costing us a lot of money, money that I could use to hire more people, money that I could use to produce more jobs. And he said, this is ridiculous. And then the mayor of San Francisco, that area somewhere around there, started uh, texting, basically daring Elon Musk to leave. We don't need you. And now, you know, Oracle, Tesla, all these different companies have been moving out of California. A lot of big finance firms have been moving out of the state of New York, going to Florida or going to Texas. And that's why these two states are dominating. They're seeing increases in employment, increases in population. So many strong businesses are going there and they're taking those jobs with them. And at the end of the day, those bad policies, it, it, sometimes it takes time, but we're starting to see the results already. And so when people move out of these states and then they come to places like Texas, Florida, Utah, you know, Idaho, Arizona, and they try to bring the same failed policies that did not work. That's where people have got to be smart and be honest with themselves and say, listen, overregulation, overtaxing, making life difficult on businesses and difficult on people doesn't work. Keeping things shut down for too long doesn't work. This, this tyranny, this lack of democracy, everyone wants to talk about, oh, we're saving our democracy is at stake. Yeah, our democracy is at stake in some of these states where there's so little freedom that people can't stand it anymore and they end up moving. And that's why you see these other states doing well. And that's what's going to continue to be the trend. And then here's the other result that we don't talk about enough. Utah, Florida, Texas, have been showing actually excess, like they're actually netting a profit, meaning all the money they make from taxes, they are covering their state budgets, and they have 
abundance left over after they pay all the bills for the year. And then they can put that extra money back into other programs for the states. Then you've got states like California, who actually I think is down multiple billion dollars that they are short on their budget. And they're like, oh, we're sure. And then we got to borrow money from the federal government. We got to tax people more. We got to borrow, take more money away from business owners so that they can't hire people because we're so irresponsible with our money as a state. And and then and then now we look at our at our federal government. We have thirty-one trillion dollars in debt as a federal government in the United States. And, you know, we need to spend more money. We just had, what, a, another $2 trillion bill, another $2 trillion budget where we are continuing to spend more than we make. And it's just like, it's just like where, honestly, where my family was back in, in 2010 or 11, when everybody on, in my wife's family was going to go to Cancun, we couldn't do it, right? No vacations for a few years. We've got to pay some debt off. We've got to get our money right. We had to sacrifice and we did that. And now, you know, we can go anywhere, do anything we want, but we had to go through that sacrifice. And our country needs to go through some sacrifice. And that's what needs to happen to some of these states. You know, case in point with that, Leo, is like we have a handful of lenders that you look at the lender checklist. I've got a very, very qualified business. The, uh, the return on the loan looks fantastic. Guess what? They're in California. And guess what? Oh California gosh. legislature will not allow these types of loans to be lent to California-based businesses. Or there's so much damn red tape that these funding companies say it's going to cost us more to work with a California business. And so forget it. We won't lend in California and we won't lend in Nevada. Like you, you see that all the time with good, legitimate, reputable lenders, which is just state governments handcuffing their businesses. I, I think it's a lot like parenting, like the coddled kid that gets handouts still lives with his parents when he's 35. Right, that that's that's proven. If you overly coddle a kid and 100%. you give them everything they ever need, you don't make them work for anything. They're going to have a really hard time growing up, taking accountability, and moving out. And it's the exact same thing with the government. It's it's not a complicated process. People need independence. They do. They need to be self sufficient. And you take all that pride away from them, and you try to, you know, give out free money. And Ray Dalio talks about this, and I don't know if he understands how his politics translate because sometimes I think his politics doesn't quite make sense. But he's like, listen, when the government takes money and they put it in the hands of a business owner who is productive with it and utilizes it well, that's great. But when we just pass out money to people, that's not production. That's just passing out money that we're going to have to pay back. And that's the difference between productivity and just handing out money. And all these, a lot of these states have handed out money. Now they can't do it anymore. They've overtaxed, overregulated, pushed businesses out the door. When you push an Elon Musk out the door in the state of California over to Texas, I mean, that's you're, you're on a wrong, bad path there, and you're going to hurt everybody there. And then all these programs that you want to be able to pay for, you can't do it. Now you're down $20 billion or something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in California, they've gotten to the point, and I saw this video in San Francisco where homeless people can go in and literally get a box of syringes. They can get those little straps that, yep. that they tie around their arm. They can get lighters for, for their pipes, whatever. But, I mean, we've reached this point where we literally have – AI. We have self-driving vehicles. We have all these things. And this has been a, a non-profit idea of mine for quite a while now, Leo. But if someone's listening that can actually hey, execute we're, it, we're going to do this. Go for it. Do it. I want this to happen. Like literally we are to a point in the financial space. Give these homeless people a Venmo tag 
that they can go in and cash out or the money can only be used at the same place EBT can be used. Like, give them a tag that you. I know if I send them money, it has to be shelter, it has to be food, they can't go buy drugs. Like, we're to the point that could be created. Easy. California is fintech haven. Like, someone out there make that happen and actually make a difference. Quit, quit giving your homeless people syringes. And give them money that they can actually use to better themselves. Yeah. Give them a QR code, and they can exactly. go ahead and scan that QR code, and it's going towards rehab. It's going towards education to teach them the right way. Give a man a fish, he eats a day. Teach him how to fish, he eats for the rest of his life. And that's exactly what these guys need. And, yeah, if, if no one else does it, we will do that um, for sure because it's a, it's a great idea, that QR code. And then it translates into money that can only be used for good purposes to help them not wasteful things, not continuing to push further their addiction, but actually help treat that addiction. And then what's even more baffling is places like San Francisco and Los Angeles. I mean, you've got these people out there that that are addicts and they're passing out needles and then it's okay for them to go sit out right outside the bookstore or right outside this uh, grocery store. And now what happens is people don't feel safe and they don't go, and your business suffers, and you can't do anything about it. And that that type of injustice is what we've seen in places like Michigan, you know, like California, like New York. We've seen it in Oregon, in Washington, and now these economies in these states are paying the price for it, and that's why people are leaving. Yeah. All right, guys, that was our freedom segment, and we believe in fighting for freedom. And so if you do, make sure you're you know, commenting in there. Uh, if you got uh, some value out of that segment, make sure you're sharing the show with others, and hopefully you're getting your money right at the MyFigures.com money app. Let's jump into sports because we love sports, specifically football, specifically the NFL. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a bittersweet day last Sunday. We had uh, Championship Sunday, NFC, AFC Championships, which means we're down to our last game uh, for the NFL, which is sad, but it's been a great season. And uh, the, the playoffs have been amazing. Let's talk first about uh, the 49ers-Eagles. This uh, really on paper looked like it was going to be a close game, but for a lot of reasons was not. So what were your takeaways as you were watching uh, you know, the Eagles-Niners game in Philadelphia this weekend. Yeah, it was – I was bummed out, if I'm being honest. I, I was really excited for that game. I think if you have a healthy Brock Purdy, you that's a very, very close game that comes oh, yeah. down to the wire. It was shaping up to be one of the game, best games of the year. But Purdy it actually turned out he tore his UCL, which did, is a yeah. massive, massive recovery of – which – Kudos to him. He was still on the sideline throwing, oh, trying to do whatever he could to come back, and that must have been so painful. But, I mean, when you're down to a fourth-string quarterback that doesn't really know the playbook super well, that's that has barely any business even being on practice squads, and then he gets a concussion, and Purdy goes in with a torn UCL, and you literally, they know you can't even throw the ball. The the def I mean the defense was on the field nonstop. That the defense actually did a pretty good job. They did. You you look at they the did. stats like they didn't give up a ton of yards. But when the no. offense can't even get a first down, it's impossible. No, it was it was absolutely just tragic. Tragic. And the thing about it was those first two couple passes, like Brock came out just like he had all year long. He was super calm. He was under control. He was making the right reads. He was super accurate with his throws, and you could tell he was locked in and. But that pressure, and, and that's that's going to kind of be my big takeaway 
for this weekend and almost every playoff game and football game moving forward, if you can put pressure on the quarterback, especially with your front four, like that's the number one way to go win a championship or win any game, especially in in the league, especially in 2023. I mean, if you can put pressure on the quarterback, you're going to win. And so how did Philadelphia win that game? They got the pressure, right? They got uh, uh, number seven came in, and he uh, and they and and of course they knocked out uh, Jack Johnson after that. He tears uh, Brock Purdy tears his uh, UCL that was yep. called the elbow uh, uh, ligament there, and and he's out of the game, and and that game was essentially over right then and there, and and just very sad because the 49ers team, you, you know. But what was the one player on the 49ers like, oh, man, that guy is leaving it out on the field? Was there someone that sort of stood out for you? There, I mean, there, prob- was, there was from Probably me. Debo. Um, yeah. Just the way he was relentless to the very end. Debo and McCaffrey both. I, I don't know. It, it's hard because even Kittle was, was relentless. But I Yeah, mean, he was. I would say Debo would be the one for me. For me, it was McCaffrey. I yeah. mean, he was just that first touchdown. That, that, well, I guess the only touchdown they scored there and – and he broke three or four tackles, just running through people and just doing everything possible to make it uh, make it happen. You know, you feel bad for you feel bad for those warriors, right? That have worked so hard. Kittles, Debo Samuel, uh, Christian McCaffrey, and Joey. How about Bosa. that left tackle? Yeah, the the slam that was uh, get him <laughs> on the WWE. That was wild. <laughs> oh, what man. is his name? I can't. I'm drawing a blank right now. But that little. Scrum gets together and he yeah. his guy, he's holding his dude's face mask. He's like, I've had enough. And it just yeah. shows how strong those oh, offensive line lifts three hundred pounds up and just throws them on the ground like he's like he's a hundred like fifty pounds for us. I mean, it's crazy. You notice the first one on the Eagles to get his nose in the mix, all of a sudden Dominican Sue comes running over. It's oh, like, there's a brawler, again. dude, and Dominican Sue. I didn't realize he was on the Eagles, but boy, you know, he he helped the Bucks when they won their championship. That guy's a brawler. Uh, he's been known to be a cheap shot over the years. He's come a long sure, ways but... from his stomping on neck days. So. <laughs> Good job, Sue. But you want him on your team. Oh, yeah. You want – that's a guy – I want him on my team. Yeah, Dominican Sue, you can play on my team. All right, talking about a team, the Eagles, and people have doubted them, and I've doubted them, you know, throughout this season. And they came out, and they played well, and they executed again. And the guy whose story that I love the most – I just love guys who overcome. So Jalen Hurts is a guy who, you know, was was a premier quarterback, recruited out of high school, gets picked up by Nick Saban in Alabama. He's a, he's a top quarterback. I think he wins a national championship there. And then the next year, he's in the championship game again. And, uh, you know, he's taken out of that game for Tua. Tua comes in, wins that uh, second half in overtime. Alabama wins the championship. Jalen Hurts supports him. The next year, Tua's the starter. Jalen comes and plays, I think, in the, the semifinals playoff game, gets a win for Alabama, and then the next year he leaves and goes to Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, he and Tua both finish out uh, their final years and and so forth. But what uh, what – I just love that story about Jalen Hurts. I mean, for a guy who has to go through massive adversity, loses his starting job, has to go finish his career elsewhere, and I think he made a great choice. And the thing that I also noticed is he wasn't quite as fit as he could have been as a young quarterback. And I saw him go to Oklahoma, and his body looked completely different. His mindset looked completely different. And the way that he has 
gone through adversity is why I think he succeeded in the NFL because he is, from what I've heard, his work ethic is incredible. He's gotten better every single week, every single year. He's always working at his craft. You don't hear about him going out and partying and messing around. He's all in at becoming the best quarterback he can be, and I, I just love a story like that. No, I, I, I agree, which a lot of people, it, it would be hard if th- there was nonstop chat about, oh, he's great, he's super athletic, but all he can do is run, or he can't win the big game. He was constantly being told he can't win the big game. And, and so, I mean, he's obviously taken that to heart, taking the fact that, was, was it four or five quarterbacks went in the draft before him? Oh, and, yeah. He was drafted, I think, 53rd. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I do love that story, and he's definitely – myself included, proven a lot of us wrong. I thought he'd be a decent backup for five, ten years but never do anything in the NFL. That's, so. That was my thought as well. I thought, hey, pretty athletic guy, you know, can make some throws but isn't going to be accurate enough mm-hmm. or be able to read defenses well enough, and he has proven everybody wrong. He reads defenses extremely well. His accuracy has been off the charts. And it's – I don't – think people realize you know that haven't played football to be able to do what, what he does what a Josh Allen does and you know like uh Baltimore's quarterback uh what's his name Lamar Jackson Lamar Jackson what those guys do where they go out and they run full speed take on people and have to run 5 10 15 50 yards and then come right back in you know five seconds later call the play go back up, and then deliver an on-time, on-target pass. Like, that takes substantial athletic ability, skill, endurance to be able to do that, and those three guys have done it, and no one has done it better than Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I agree, but uh, can he win the big game? That Now, here we go. Here we <laughs> here go. We go. Time here will tell. Go. Yeah, we're going to be making our picks uh, on Thursday. And, of course, the other game uh, was the Chiefs and Bengals. Mahomes had uh, the hurt ankle, and, uh, you know, that game, that game we were both wrong in. I think we both thought that Cincinnati, I mean, it's it really is about matchups because the way Cincinnati's offensive line played against the Chiefs was actually how I thought they would play against the Bills. But clearly the Bills, uh, you know, defensive line is nothing compared to Kansas City. So there, that's my takeaway. I mean, Kansas City's defensive line. Yeah, Mahomes was great, but I felt like that defensive line, especially that Jones, he, I feel like they, that was what won the game for him. Yeah, that and uh, the penalties. Like, I'm not blaming it on the ref. Penalties. I'm blaming it on the Bengals. The Bengals were the better team. I still feel watching that game that the Bengals were the better team with more talent, but they, they let themselves. Arrowhead get the best of them. They let the crowds get to them. They, I mean, ultimately they broke down and they had really, really bad penalties that cost them their season. And I didn't... You know, I'm always looking at those penalties and, oh, is that a weak call? Is that a BS call? But, you know, when you, you're you calling holding on the their offensive line and his arms stretched out like this, and I mean, that's the easiest holding call in the world or a pass interference call or the worst call that was, you know, the worst penalty that you could have, obviously. And, and this was a, a sad thing that happened for the dude. I don't remember his name, but the guy that tackled Mahomes, out of bounds, just clear. And it wasn't just his momentum because he had the momentum, but then he had to get the extra shove, and then he jacked his knee up after he did the extra shove. And it was just like, dude, you just you just didn't even have to do that. And if he didn't do that, that game goes into overtime, and who knows what happens in overtime. Yeah, exactly. That. I thought for sure that game was going into overtime, and that's just a, a bonehead move. You, you you can't do that. Like, obviously he's getting frustrated. 
Patrick Mahomes is one of the most difficult quarterbacks to sack in the NFL because he's so elusive. And I'm sure missed opportunity after missed opportunity after missed opportunity, that guy finally was just so fed up that he could never even get his palms on Pat Mahomes. And he saw an opportunity, he took it, and ultimately cost his team the uh, the season. I mean, there's a lot of things they they did well. Like they got Burrow the ball with an opportunity to drive down and score, and they didn't make it happen. So I don't put it fully on that guy. Obviously, there's a full game that had to be played, but you just can't you can't do that. You've got to be mentally tough and, and not make that mistake right there, which this is totally off topic from this game, but I heard this. I listen to NFL radio every morning. You said Josh Allen, and it got me thinking. They announced Josh Allen is out for the Pro Bowl. He's, he's not going to play. So you look at all of these great AFC quarterbacks um, that are going to be stepping in. Obviously, Pat Mahomes is in the Super Bowl, but who would you say is is filling in for Josh Allen at the Pro Bowl? Do you have any idea? So, and and I'm sure Joe Burrow's not playing in the Pro Bowl, right? I don't think he's going to play, but I, I think he was obviously selected. But yeah. It's interesting, like, it used to be a thing, but over the last decade, like, everybody who's selected, they just make up every reason why they don't want to go, and they ultimately oh, don't, don't uh, end up I going. know who's playing. They announced. I, I know who, who's coming in to fill in for Josh Allen, but you look at these AFC quarterbacks, phenomenal quarterbacks out there, some really, really good names. Trevor Lawrence, maybe? He's going to be playing, but okay. he's not the, he's filling in for Pat Mahomes, I believe. Oh, okay, there we go. Tyler Huntley. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, that's what I I thought it was a joke. I had to look it up. I was like, this guy that played four games and averaged like ten points a game and was just not good is in the Pro Bowl over wow a handful well, that, of these AFC quarterbacks. That, that that tells us where we're at. Like nobody wants to go to the Pro Bowl anymore. Clearly. Yeah, I I don't know how that happened and how the the voting occurred, but yeah, Tyler Huntley is apparently playing in the Pro Bowl. Wow. I mean, uh, you know, former University of Utah quarterback, uh, almost beat Cincinnati, but fumbled the ball on the half-yard line that turned into a 99-yard touchdown. But shit, let's get Zach Wilson in there. We'll do some <laughs> BYU-Utah stuff if Pro Bowl's fair game. <laughs> let's go. Uh, yeah, I don't know what's happened to the Pro Bowl. It's really just gone downhill. Now it's not even a game anymore. It hasn't been a game for a long time, but... But uh, very unfortunate. They used to actually play real games like back in the, the 90s, and they showed up and they played real games, and they weren't you know, afraid about uh, getting hurt. It was just a fun game, and they'd get together. But it was a real game. There was competition. It was fun to watch. But They should do it like baseball. Yeah. Where the winning team, the division or the conference gets home-field advantage. Yeah. Like, there should be something at stake to where you actually care and you can go play. And, I mean – so just just to end our, our football segment here, how do you feel when you see, for example, the University of Utah went to the Rose Bowl, right? Their top cornerback, who's going to be drafted in the NFL, their top tight end, who's their best offensive player, both are like, I'm out. We're not playing. We're not playing. Oh, you know, we're we're going to get ready for the drafts instead of play at the Rose Bowl, where you could get all this media attention and really come out and shine. And they're like, oh, we're not playing. What are your thoughts on that? It's hard. This one's probably unpopular, and it's it's not the best team mentality that that I should have. But if I'm one of those players and I know I'm a first round pick and I don't have anything left to prove in my college football career, I'm not playing. Maybe the national championship, but I know I've got millions of dollars waiting for me and. 
a really bad concussion, a really bad neck injury, a torn ACL can literally ruin all of that. I've spent my entire 15-year career building up to this point to get to the NFL. I'm not going to sacrifice that for one game, but that's probably not the best way to look at it. I, I know that's not the team mentality. I would definitely be there. I'd be coaching. I'd be on the sideline. There's no way I'm just not going to the game, but I'm probably not sacrificing my future, my family's future over that one game. I wonder what the data shows in the guys that do make that decision not to play in those games, what their career ends up being. I would be super interested to see what that is because for me, like the whole, most of them are leaders. These guys were leaders and they're constantly preaching and values and principles and, you know, do what you say you're going to do, follow through everything. At the end, when we need you to go win the biggest game of the year, you don't play like that's not okay with me. Like I, I, I can't imagine doing that if I'm in their shoes. And I think, in my opinion, most people that end up doing that, I wouldn't be surprised if their career doesn't end up being as successful. And I think Nick Saban kind of looks at it the same way, like, really, you're going to go through the whole year and, oh, i got to get ready for the draft, and this is where you can really shine on the national stage. And so it's good, though. It's good for us to disagree and have a different viewpoint. But that's that's how I feel about it. As a quarterback, I would play. I feel like as a quarterback, if you just you've played every game all year and then you just back out, hey, I'm done, I'm out. That is just selling out. You're you're letting your team down. As a quarterback, 100%, I'm playing that game. If I'm a corner for Alabama, that's eight men deep of really really good corners, I'm sitting out. But there there's definitely variables there, so I can't just say 100%. I'm sitting out, but I I think there are a handful of scenarios where I probably wouldn't play in that game yeah I'd say if your team wasn't great or if you're going to a lower bowl I can even understand a little bit more but if you're going to a top tier bowl and you're in the top 10 like I don't know I I don't get it I think you should play all right guys that was our sports segment let's move here into the family segment here as the time is ticking down inflation may be easing but grocery prices continue to uh you know expand and and go up and it's getting really painful here this is a cnn story cnn all right so cnn uh, grocery prices are up 12 percent. food prices are affected by a number of factors of course including extreme weather diseases impacting crops and livestock supply chain complications we've heard about supply chain for the last three years Geopolitical unrest, including the war in Ukraine, is affecting grains and uh, fertilizers, that type of thing. And that makes it more difficult for the U.S. government to use tactics like raising interest rates to moderate food prices. So let's just shout out some numbers. Eggs are up 49%. We just uh, we got a dozen eggs or 18 eggs uh, over the weekend. Crazy how expensive they are. Butter is up 27%. Uh, the price of bacon is uh, through the roof. Flour is up 24%. Bread, 15 Just in the last year, not even counting before that. So it's up you know, significantly more than that, counting the last three years. Milk is up 14%. Coffee, 14%. Chicken, 12 So last Saturday, Jill and I, you know, oh, we got to go get some food. We knew there was a storm coming on Sunday. So let's let's go. It's Saturday night. Let's get some, uh, make sure we stock up on groceries for the week and just a few necessities like deodorant, nothing Nothing too crazy. And uh, we came out of there with about a $500 bill. And I just, I couldn't believe that groceries and in a few necessities was about $500. Now, granted, we've got five kids, so a a little bit uh, bigger household than most families. But 
$500 a week for groceries, $2,000 a month, $25,000 a year. That doesn't even count if you want to go out and eat. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, it's like we talked about last week. It's it's almost, not almost, it's getting to the point where it's less expensive to go to McDonald's and get an Egg McMuffin than it is to go to the grocery store and buy English muffins, yeah, not eggs, and ham, and whatever it takes. Like, why is that? How how come all of these prices are up astronomically, like eggs, yet McDonald's hasn't had to raise their price on an Egg McMuffin? Is it because they have their own? I bet it's because they have their own supply. Hmm. Maybe they have their own supply and they're able to control that uh, price versus buying from the broader market where you know it's based on market conditions and because they raise it themselves they're able to keep the prices you know where they're at I know there's been like an avian flu thing and all these chickens have been dying yeah. and so that's that's part of it uh, too but still overall I mean food prices have just increased uh, substantially and so you know you, you you talk about a regular family maybe a regular family uh, median income, I think, is around $64,000, Maybe it's a little bit higher if uh, both, uh, both, both spouses, uh, both parents are working. And let's say they have two kids and they have two car loans and a mortgage. I mean, an average mortgage might be, what, $2,000 a month, maybe a little bit more. Car loans are maybe another three fifty dollars each. So now you're up to $700, $2,700 a month you need. Food, and so you're saying food might be $300 a week. There's another $1,200. You're up to it almost $4,000 a month. And if you're making $75,000 a year as a family and you pay 20% uh, in taxes, like there is no money left over. Yeah. You're not going on a vacation. You know, there's how are you paying for your kids to do piano lessons or sports or any of these activities? So, so. That's where we come back to entrepreneurship. Like the end deal is not to sit and whine and complain about the things you can't control. It's to worry about all the things that you can take action on to control right now. And if you don't have a side hustle, if you're not looking at starting or growing your business, that's really where it's at. And it's also having the ability to save money, not to save, but to invest and those are the things that you can control and the people that take action towards those can make that happen, can get their money right, can get their life right. And if you don't do those things, I don't see how you can survive. It's time to go buy a chicken, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Need to get, uh, you know, the, the hen house going and get, uh, I don't know why, but Jill was like pulling up these videos last night of, uh, of roosters. And apparently a rooster can... Uh, you know, consummate a relationship with about 30 hens in a day. So I guess there's a reason why they call roosters cocks. They're uh, super productive at uh, procreating, I guess. I had and, some uh, renters that had yeah. a rooster. Apparently it's illegal within city limits oh, or something. Okay. And, and the police showed up and oh, wow. it's this big ordeal. But yeah, their, their rooster was busy. Um, they were popping out eggs all over the place. So it was it was kind of cool, but yeah, they got reported. No more roosters. If you if you pull, go to YouTube and you pull up a video of a rooster and a hen, like it gets pretty aggressive. Like they get out their uh they get out their uh, claws there and they dig they dig their talons uh, deep into the hen like they're kind of abusive these roosters, but um I mean again, like I said, there must be a reason why they call roosters cocks. So. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll buy the expensive eggs. I'm not doing that. <laughs> All right, so that was our family segment. Uh, inflation is going through the roof. 
So control you can control focus on generating income. Um, you know, if you're not using a budgeting app, most people are still wasting a lot of money. And so if you go through and you assess what you're actually spending your money on, you'll find some waste in there. But at the end of the day, you can only save so much. You've got to earn additional income. And that comes through a business. If you need funding for a business after you've got proof of concept, you want to prove Mark Cuban wrong, you know, seven figures funding. We're there to help with that. All right. Our final segment here is our mindset segment. It's success is a process not an event. Let me see where this article was found here. This is from Millionaire Doc, MillionaireDoc.com. Great, uh, great website, great blog. So here's what he says. He says, too many people believe that success is a one-time event. Overnight success is real. Get rich quick is the path to prosperity. And so you see this a lot in people who I would say are not financially savvy and have not been, they don't have a good mentor. They don't have anyone who's taught them how money and business works. And so they have this misguided belief of very high risk things. For example, maybe they put all their money into cryptocurrency. They had $5,000, they put it into a cryptocurrency and it went to zero. Or, you know, they, they put it in Bitcoin and Bitcoin went down a lot. And, they, and then instead of, you know, waiting for it to go back up, which it probably will, they sold it a lot. So that's what happens with a lot of people because they think success is an event. The event is defined as an occurrence or noteworthy happening. It is the belief the outcome can be traced back to a one-time thing. Not true. Process is defined as a series of actions or operations conducing to an end. It is the belief the outcome is the result of cumulative effort. And um, interesting actor Adrian Brody, who won an Oscar, uh, said it takes 15 years to be an overnight success is what his dad told him. And then Adrian's like, well, actually, it took me 17 and a half. I don't think he really made hardly any money in acting until he'd been in the business 17 and a half years and then won an Oscar and the rest is history, et cetera, et cetera. But what are, in your mind is the biggest issue between this event process, you know, overnight success thing that a lot of people do not understand? I just think success is, is never ending, right? It, it's oh, like getting yeah. in shape. The second you quit working out, you're not in shape anymore. It's the same thing with success. The second you quit working and achieving at high levels, you're no longer a success. Like maybe you made a lump sum of money and, and you're done, but if you're not doing anything with that money, guess what? You're no longer a success in my opinion. Because when you look back, I wouldn't consider myself this crazy success at this point yet. I still have a lot of goals I want to achieve, but I can definitely look at a dozen different events that were key points in my path to success, like getting on that cruise was oh, yeah. one that key was event. But look at everything we had to do and build to get to the point where we were ready for that big event. Like it's success is a never ending battle that you have to continue to fight for day in and day out. And you have to have hundreds of events to achieve a high level of success. It's so true. And so many people have this idea, the, ma the masses, the population out there that, Oh, I'm going to make some money and then I'm going to retire on the beach. And if you've ever looked at the data, anybody who retires ends up dying pretty soon or things start to fall apart because they start they stop doing all the things that they did to be successful. And the same thing happens with people who kind of just come into money quickly versus people who 
earn and create wealth over time. And you look at people who win the lottery or professional athletes that make a lot of money, most of them are bankrupt or have lost it all in three to five years after that because they didn't actually learn or become or understand how to manage money and where to put it and how to grow something over time because it was more of an event. So there are examples of events, but most successful people, it's a process. And I think you're exactly right, whether it's fitness, finance, business, it's something you're doing every day. And when you get out of the mindset of, oh, I'm going to eventually do work hard and then I won't ever have to do it again, that's the wrong idea. If you just accept that I'm going to have to work hard and bring it every single day for the rest of my life, well, now that's what you expect. And that's why I think why you see a guy like a Trump who's going to be 80, even you know a guy like Biden who's 82 or whatever he is, like these guys are still working it into their longer years because they know that's what brings overall success. Well, whether you like them, love them, hate them, et cetera, doesn't matter. Like what their success is undeniable because they keep on working at it year after year. That said, we need younger leaders. So Yeah, I mean, look at Shaquille O'Neal. Shaquille O'Neal is this never-ending example of success. He continues to work and find success. And then you have someone like Allen Iverson who has somehow managed to lose everything because he felt like he reached that level of success and was done. I mean, he had generational wealth that he could have sat down and done nothing forever, but he found a way to lose it because he wasn't continuing to work and push himself, whereas Shaq has created hundreds of businesses, millions and millions of dollars, and continues to grind and grind and grind. That's why I call Shaq a success, and someone like Allen Iverson went from a very, very high-level success to now a failure in many, many instances. So, 100%. Great example. Great example. Great place to end it, guys. Success is a process, not an event. If you found value in the show, make sure you're subscribed to the channel. Get notifications when we go live. It's most Tuesdays and Thursdays from 12 to 1 Mountain Standard Time. If you have questions, comments, put them in there. We will answer them. Uh, any ideas for topics on future shows, let us know. And uh, in the next few weeks, we're going to start also, you know, looking uh, at different uh, guests who are entrepreneurs who can add a lot of value and uh, share their stories with you. We'll bring them in here live into the studio. So that's going to be happening over the next uh, few weeks. But have a wonderful Tuesday. Take action. Make your life uh, and dreams into the truth that you want by making a little bit of progress every single day. Thank you for joining us on the Go Figure Podcast. If you learned something that will help your business or family, take 30 seconds and give us a five-star. If we added value to your day, then share the show with someone who wants to get their money right and be sure to subscribe to the Seven Figures Funding YouTube channel. If you're a business owner and a parent committed to getting your money right for your family, then check out the MyFigures.com money app with a free 30-day trial to manage your money, track your debt worth, and build a profit-first business through our fintech platform. God bless, and we'll see you next time on the Go Figure Podcast.